Hello and welcome to Open All Ours, the first episode of the new season. We are back. It has been, I believe, 83 days since our last podcast. The season starts on Saturday and we're back for another year. Um, Loads to talk about. This is our preview episode, I guess, uh, for the new season and, and, and reviewing in less than an hour everything that's happened over the summer. Unusually, before I introduce you, do you know what has happened to this podcast that has never, ever happened before? As we start our eighth season, Paul, and you've been here for almost all of them, all of those podcasts, what have we done today that has never happened before? You gave me a gluten-free kick? I gave you a gluten-free cake, that is true. First mention of gluten-free of the year. First mention, ting, those of you (laughs) with your Finny Bingo cards, you've got it. This Uh, is the first podcast that we've ever started early. Oh, we see. Is that a big thing? I never thought. I, d- I don't know. We said seven o'clock, and it is six fifty-three, and we've already started recording. And so. for those listening, it's not this time. No. You leave. So those that those dulcet tones that you can hear is, of course, uh, they belong to Paul Finney. All right. Hello, Paul. Good summer. It was medium to average. Medium to average. It wasn't particularly brilliant. I went to Egypt. Hang on, what's better, medium or average? You're the journalist, Clive. What's better? I would say medium. Medium. But I went average to medium. I went to Egypt and I got on a bus and I got a URS on the bus going to the hotel. And I was like, well, that could be interesting. He was a Reading fan. No idea why I did that. Spent the whole holiday arguing about who had the hoops first. Terrible, tedious argument. There's a holiday we all wanted to be on. Well, I, I did say that they might have worn them first, but they actually did lose them for a number of years. So it roughly works out the same, I do believe. And anyway, they and they nicked a nickname because they used to be called the Biscuit Men and then they call themselves the R's. Next to so the Red and Black Cups. So you went to, to Egypt? I did. Good. It was nice. Good. It was nice. It's a bit different from Belfast. Yeah. Mm, sorry, carry on. Uh, and Clive. Clive Whittingham from Loffer Words is here. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Did you Welcome just say back. hi? Hi. Hello. You yeah. don't do the podcast very it's often. fine, right? Because you're always playing Have you been in media right? training courses? No. Are well, you sure? Unless you count my degree. Ooh. Um, Skilled. Literally. <laughs> you weren't here often enough last season, Clive. I, well, thank you for that. I'm not football. sure everyone would agree, but yeah. Come on this year. You're not playing football again on a Tuesday night. I do you? play on Tuesdays, but I've sacked it off tonight. Where do you play normally in goal? Your nets. Yes, I am. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not tall enough for 11 aside, so I play small side again. He's got the build of a Nicky Jones about him. Is that, is that a compliment? Yeah. <laughs> oh, also, okay, number two on your Finny Bingo card. Very, very old, <laughs> late 1980s QPR, QPR reference. Ding. <laughs> okay. All right, the reason for that, David, is quite simple. I'm freaking ancient. Carry on. You're, you're a man of a certain vintage, that's true. Vintage? I'm practically unheard of. Um, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to our listeners. Um, first of all, thank you for everybody who supported us, who supported us at the live podcast. That was brilliant, by the way. Since. That was excellent. It was excellent fun. I don't know if it was an excellent podcast. Can I just clear one thing up about fun. the live pods? Because people have been asking me, we don't make a penny. We don't get paid anything. We don't even get paid for our travel expenses. It's all for the labour of love. So please remember that because people were asking me, you know, 
where the money goes, what yeah. we're doing, everything else. It is literally to keep the podcast going, one hundred percent. That's it. Nothing else. We the other day with Egypt was paid for by myself. Yeah. But next year, um, David, I fancy someone more like America. Yeah, we we uh, have people really asked you about that. Seriously, yeah. So I mean, I'm, I mean, I am allowed to say this, but who gives a toss? Even if you did make money off it, not, first not of that all, you do, but who would care? Yeah, but people first get funny about it. Yes, I agree, but we don't. No, uh, simply because we have no. We don't have the time to dedicate to making a lot of money. And we're not very professional. We need, we need about two to three grand a year to cover the running costs of but, it, basically. But, Hosting, mm. equipment, engineers, etc. And then that's it. But if we did get paid, it would be, it'd, it'd be a rip-off, wouldn't it? Yeah, shocking. Anyway, that's just to clear that up. But thank you, everyone who came to the podcast. We did appreciate it. And it was a bloody excellent night. Which went on to the wee hours in the pub across it was the road. Really good, wasn't it? And if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. We had Sean Derry and we had Clint Hill, we had Kevin Gallum with us, and it was a great night. Okay, uh, thank you to everyone who came to that. Thank you for everybody who's signed up to be a patron this year. Really appreciated, and various other people who I think I think Richard calls it the Pod Squad. I think Robert Crawford has bought us the beers tonight. Thank you, Robert. Thank you very much. Right. We've got- Shall we get a patron sent to the podcast? Like, you know, like St. Patrick's, a patron sent of Ireland and all that block. It'd be St. Jude, wouldn't it? Surely. Yeah, but that's a bit depressing. Anyway. Anyway. Oh, we could get a mascot. There's quite a lot to go over because we have two interviews, right? Not just one. Not just one, but two. In about 15 minutes' time, after we've sort of reviewed everything that's come up to this point in the pre-season, we're speaking to... Lee Hoos, chief exec. The reason why we're speaking to him is because I think it was Friday, was it? Friday, uh, the club announced, or actually the club didn't announce, the league announced that. Because um, I didn't see anything on the club website on this. Maybe I missed it. I didn't see anything. It was on there. But they'd settled the um, financial fair play fine. So given there's been a few days come and gone since the announcement, Lee Hoos is going to be on the phone um, answering your questions on it because we put it out to Twitter today. We've got a whole bunch of questions. Um, we also have an interview with the new coach that we're going to play out later, which we were all there. We'll kind of come on to it and talk about it, but we, we were very fortunate enough, had a, had, a, had a nice couple of hours. We were invited down to the training ground, as were all the fan groups last week. And we, as part of that, we managed to get a few minutes with Steve McLaren. It was, it's, a, it's a few days old, this interview, so hopefully it all still holds. Uh, but we'll talk more about that day a bit later on in the podcast. Okay. And we weren't bribed either by the club or paid. Correct. Which is a shame because I wouldn't mind being bribed. Correct. So, Clive, you for a bribe? I'm rich enough already, mate. It's fine. So, summer <laughs> developments, comings, goings. Mm. There's been a few. Where should we? I know. Ian Taylor, right? Yeah. <laughs> At least he went for a nice, easy job. I was watching the Tour de France, actually. So, those of you who don't know, Ian Taylor, former head of comms at QPR, went to Team Sky Cycling. Carry on. Their riders get attacked. I didn't know that. What a job. He's gone from the front. Good first month in the job, isn't it? But it's all the bit where the French guys are trying to, and women, are trying to push them off the bicycles. They just don't like Team Sky. Hmm. So... At least he ain't got a good run. He's had the training for it, hasn't he? Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was strange. Okay. (laughs) Let's start with Ian Holloway. So, I I subscribe to 442 magazine. I do. Uh, whether you think that's sort of a bit of a, uh, it's it's you know sort of a 
juvenile magazine or whatever. I love it. Always read it. Subscribe to it. I got it yesterday. I opened it up. Pre-season preview. Who is who is staring me in the face? Clive Whittingham. Clive Whittingham is there in this month's four four two magazine. Um, because well, yeah, you're not close. he has done the kind of fans Q&A for QPR season. And within that, Clive, you did, you did express your doubts about the sacking of Ian Holloway. I don't know when you wrote it, whether you still feel the same. But why don't you start on the, the dismissal and removal of Ian Holloway? Well, I think it's important to say that he, he clearly wasn't perfect and there were a lot of problems and, uh, and you can see the logic behind the decision, I think to do with consistency of approach and uh, him being a little bit wild at times with his team selection and with his statements. Um, And I think that Millwall game over the new year did him a lot of damage, the way he behaved, the way the team Mm. performed that night. I think uh, a few minds were made up that night and uh, I don't think it was a coincidence that Steve McLaren suddenly popped up as the pundit for our Fulham away game and seemed to know every single one of our players like his own children. Um, but he fulfilled his remit. He fulfilled, the team is in a better state than it was when he took it over. Um, he's had to cope with the loss of a lot of players. Um, he has taken on board the, we have to cut the wage bill, we have to cut this, we have to cut that, you're not going to be able to spend money and run with it. Uh, he's bloodied a number of young players uh, in quite a, a creative and decent way, I thought. I mean... Could have been tempting to just sling Smith in, you know, six games, burn him out, doesn't do very well, you know, and he's, his confidence is destroyed. They, the way they loaned Easy out and then sort of eased him in with substitute appearances to the point where he just looked like a first-teamer. That was the remit he was given and he fulfilled it. So it, in that respect, it's harsh to sack him, although I can... I can see the logic behind the decision. I think I was is just grumpy when I read If that. it's job done and you have... What, what's, yeah, where is there is not honour? Is it job and, done? Well, is it job done or is it you've earned the right to to take this squad on? And, you know, that's a point that's a point for debate, really. I don't I know. Think what do you think, Paul? I Sorry, I think what, what, what did it for him was the outburst at Brentford, the strange behaviour at Millwall, which could only be described as... Bizarre. We well, nearly incited a riot. Yeah, and it, it it's just if you're the chairman of the football club or the CEO, or whatever, you're probably watching that through the sofa, back of the sofa, your hands over your face because it's just you know before the match you haven't even kicked the ball yet. But saying that during the whole match he handled himself brilliantly on the on the to- you know in the dugout. So I don't really understand why he did that. But thirdly, as Clive said, he was giving the kids to blood. He blooded them, but the, I think the away results killed him. I think, to be honest with you, that, that was, that, and, that he was did, and he clearly didn't know what to do about it. Nah. We said this last year. We nah. lose every week, and we don't know what to do about it. Yeah, and I think that's what hammered him. Um, you know, he, but there was also something different about you in this time. He wasn't us against the world like he was before. He seemed to be a bit more happier to have a go with the fans, call the fans out. And whereas before it was other teams he was calling out, it was other fans he was having to go out, and it just didn't seem to be the same person like, if, even if you go back to the, when we played Brighton he couldn't understand why the second you're getting sacked in the morning when he only took the job on sort of thing if you're, and he got quite insulted by that and quite hurt he did that about six times last yeah. season didn't he talked about what people were saying behind the dugout like you know him. at the end of the day mate you're a football manager 
people are going to say some stuff, get on with your job. Clive, I've become the Rangers most of my life, and I can guarantee if we won the Champions League, somebody would have a good old moan. And that'd probably be me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's just the way it is. So he, he seems to be quite upset with that. And, you know, Birch was always trying to do the thing behind the scenes with the fans and, 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 mm. and, and get the fans involved, meeting fans, bring them into the club doing that sort of job which he did really well and helped fans out of the way give him the tickets and so forth and, and that was fine but I just felt Ian was more distant far more aggressive towards his own rather than being in our cave he was a part of the cave and we were in the rest of it and if it all went wrong it was our fault and if it all went right he was a genius and what he said before Brentford then we went there and got turned over wasn't clever yeah and I think they I think they're really aware that there's a lot of young kids in the squad and you know young footballers you know, brought up in the the bubble of football, need consistency of message and to know where they stand and repetitive. Mm. You know, they don't need like Bright Asaya Samuel, basically man of the match against Birmingham City, drop win the game, drop the week after Paul Smith, man of the match against Sheffield Wednesday, scores, drop the week after these kids. So these kids are going to be looking at that, and they just don't know where they stand. And also, you can see that that creates inconsistency in performance. Like you look at as at Villa and against Norwich at home and against Birmingham at home. And then you look at us at Hull away and the gap is massive. And that, that mm. stems from the way the manager is going about things. I mean, mm. as a final point on your point about him, you know, seeming a bit off, I think his time as a football manager for his sake is probably best done now. I think he is mm. a media pundit. I, okay, think, I think the Palace thing really affected him. Basically, you know, got them promoted, signed a hell of a lot of players. It was a car crash. He basically Mm. cried at his own press conference, resigning, saying he wasn't good enough. Goes straight back in at Millwall, which turned into an absolute disaster. And like you say, you know, he didn't see, he wasn't the same. He used to be the joker, didn't he? It was like Mm. life and soul of the party. And when he came back, it's, you know, everyone's against me and... You know, pick it, picking himself? fights with people. Someone said he even fell out with Danny Shitu when he was at Millwall, which uh, the players that played under him first time Hard were amazed do, at that yeah. because Shitu was called Son of Holloway or something like that. But, it's a mm. wheel because it's kind of... Did, did he redesign himself, re, you know, bring himself in to kind of... I'm not going to be a joker. I'm going to be like a, more of a coach. I'm going to be more serious. I'm going to be more tactically aware. I think he had, a ma- he had a massive chip on his shoulder about yeah, that, yeah. isn't it? I'm not a joker. I'm a, I'm a serious football manager and I'm going to show you how clever I am when actually it's best if you just keep it simple, mate. Mm. I think that was the thing and, and, and the, the, the change in the players was... But you know what? In some respects... He came in at the right time. He stopped the rot. We can't deny that. And hopefully it's a better team. Why do you think um, Ian Taylor, sorry, the owners... (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think the the owners made the decision they did to remove Holloway? Fear. Well, exactly what we've said. They, They want a coach to coach the young players and they... Don't they didn't think that Ian Holloway's you know happy chaos was the right environment for the young players at the club? I, I mean, this is the answer that I would have given as well. And I think in hindsight, you can see exactly why they have made this decision. Mm. They could see 
The, the FFP fine didn't just happen last Friday. They would have known about that for months. They would have known the direction of travel on it. They could see it coming down the pipe. They would have agreed to the transfer embargo a long time before it was ever announced and ironed out. They could see that coming down the pipe. They thought, well, we're not going to be able to sign any players for a time. We have some decent players. We need someone to develop them. He's not the right man. We need to get the right man in. We need to get a coach in. I mean, I what I fear is, and it, look, it's done now. So there's no use in a month's time saying, oh, things would be better under Holloway or whatever if things haven't started well. What I, you know, it's done now. We have to move on together. What I fear is, in the same way that there were people that were so against Holloway last year that they actually seemed to quite like it when we lose. That was when weird. we lost games, because it it made the it proved their point. They were yeah. right. You used to see so-called QPR fans on Twitter after we lost, seemingly happy, so that they could go, I told you so. And then when you win 3-1 at Villa, it's just like, oh, well, I bet we lose at the weekend. Mm. What I fear is, like, now a reversal, where there's, there's a whole new group of people that are like, well, I told you we shouldn't sack Holloway. Look, it, it is done, whatever we think of it. And, you know, me and Paul, I think, are somewhere in between. We have to move on. We move on with Steve McLaren now. There's no, there's no use looking back and thinking, what if, what if Holloway was Lynchard? I just, I just think as well, sorry. That's all right. If Ian had been a bit more approachable, if he'd have been, been a bit more warmer, and I'm not saying that's a criticism or anything, that's just how I see it. Um, if, you, if you go, I went through it, because when I was bored, when I was supposed to be sunbier than myself, I went on YouTube because I hit the sun. I got sunburn as it is. Friggin' Irish skin. Curse of it. Anyway, um, oh, there's normal for the list. Take. You went on YouTube, yeah. yeah and better than those other sites you go on. <laughs> yeah, go on. Well, like how to fix your um, alarm. Yeah, your yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And I was going through a lot of the interviews, Clive. I don't know what you thought. You just seem angry all the time, even after a win. Really stressed. Do you know what I mean? It's really strange. I don't know if it was... Chris Ramsey told him after Villa, apparently after Villa, he was fuming that we conceded an injury time, and Chris Ramsey was just like, just enjoy it. Like, we've only won three away games that all season. That was the best performance we had. Yeah, just enjoy oh, it. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, yeah, strange. Okay, so, McCla- we, we, we're talking but to... One thing Lee- had, sorry, at yeah. least he can come back and be welcomed back before... With Jerry Francis' second time, it got, as you know... Oh, he can hold his head yeah, up high. It got high, nasty. For I mean, sure, I remember right? Wimbledon, people were fighting and, yeah. and, and, and things out there. And Preston, funny enough, people were arguing and fighting. There's no way his, nah. his, 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 his well, second spell, his spell did not end in failure. He can hold his head high. He did the. I agree 100% with Clive. He did the job he was supposed to do. The club just took a pragmatic decision, rightly or wrongly, whether you agree with it or don't agree with it. They took a decision that they now need to move in yeah. another direction. Sorry. But he... he, he did a good job. Sorry, did I talk no, about No, the only other thing was that he did... No, no, he didn't. Um, one thing that he didn't obviously know was coming because a couple of days beforehand, he declared his future to us. Mm. And it's like... And now he's declared his future to le- Quest. <laughs> the club leaked like a sieve over those two weeks and that was that was not right. There, was, mm. uh, there were a lot of off-the-record briefings from people high up at the club basically making it clear that Holloway wouldn't be there next season before anyone had spoken to him. That's not right. Whether you agree with the decision, we have to be better and more professional than that. It may work for those of us that run websites or have newspapers or whatever to you know get the odd off the record thing. But when you're basically being told that the manager is going to be sat before the manager knows about it, it's not right. Mm. Okay, I want to ask you about McLaren for a couple of minutes, and I want to do this in two parts. As I've mentioned before, 
the the three of us and various other fan groups got an insight in, into the current setup last week. We, we, uh, and we will talk about that and share that with people as best as we can because we're very privileged to be in that position. But I don't want to talk about that now. I want to talk about for a couple of minutes when McLaren was appointed based on what you knew, based on impressions, based on everything basically up until the point where we have met him, your view on the appointment of Steve McLaren. Hmm. Clive. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. If I you know, I mean, it's, a, it's an appointment that's been on the cards for a long time, basically since he was here as a coach before. They liked him. Everybody at the club liked him. Um, so I think it's been on the cards since then. And he said to us last week, he told them, you know, when he left that time that he'd love to come back and manage one day. And, you know, for better or worse, I think he's been in mind for a long time. Um, I think Fernando said in his interview on the club website that they'd done an exhaustive search, probably the biggest search they've ever done. And I'm, I just don't believe it because if you watch that Fulham game back last season, the sky coverage of it, McLaren was either pitching for a job or knew he'd already got it. Like, or he's a subhuman, superhuman we didn't talk encyclopedia. About any, he didn't talk about any of the Fulham players and ostensibly we were there to see Fulham the promotion contender mm. against a mid-table team from a Sky point of view and McLaren mm. just kept bringing it back to sort of... Sh- so I think it's been on the cards Although for a very long time. I suspect he never worked with Les, did he? No, he didn't, no. no. I suspect he may have seen a few of our games, Clive. I suspect he may have seen a few of our games. He seems to have seen more of our games last season than I did. Um. (laughs) The problem, a friend of mine who's not a QPR fan said, the issue with Steve McLaren is it all looks good, but he keeps failing. Yeah. Does he? Yes, he does. But I mean, the other perception is that he's a coach, not a manager. Yeah. So if that's accurate, then, you know, that that is what what we we need. need. And from our meeting with him last week, it's very clear that he's head coach, not not manager. Just just for those who listen to the podcast who get very confused how our system works, what was your interpretation of how the system works? Who brings the players in? Who coaches the players? And who. McLaren's head coach. He can suggest signings and probably has. they are, you know, Chris Martin and people like that. But the signings are basically done by Gary Penrice and Les Ferdinand. Okay. So Penrice is the scout, Les does the deals. So we can clear that up. Brilliant. Okay. And Lee Hughes is off football. Well, well Lee, yeah, Lee Hughes is just charged with keeping the club from imploding on a day-to-day basis, which is a hell of a job. So, so listen, talking of Lee Hughes, it was announced last week. You'll have to... Uh, I'm not reading it off notes, so you'll have to kind of help me with the detail... But after a long-running dispute with the Football League and talk of a full, and, and a forty-two million pound fine, the club has reached a settlement um, with the Football League. Something along, uh, uh, paraphrasing, seventeen million and a bit of change, <laughs> relatively, uh, is now the settlement along with three million pound legal costs, which they will pay off. It's been quoted widely in media as over ten years, which, to my maths, divided by ten means up to a couple of million a year. Um, and a transfer embargo in January. We're about to ask Lee on that. What do you guys think about think about what you've heard on that? I don't think a transfer embargo would hurt us. I think we've been crying out for a, a stoppage of transfers for years because the revolving door at QPI is a, is a bit ridiculous. So, and it also gives a chance for the club to go to the kids and say, "Look, you got you, you got this season to meet your claim to improve, to better yourselves." And um, a clean slate, but they'll probably bring some players in before January. Obviously, in the next few weeks, 
Um, the embargo or the, the transfer, the fine. You know, we're not legal. I don't know. But we seem to fight it a hell of a long time. And if that's the best deal they could get, that's the best deal they could get. And we've just got to forget it now and, and put it in the dustbin of history. I suppose the way you look at it is that's a, that could be a player a season we've got to sell to pay that off. The transfer embargo is a bit of a red herring, like you say, because we've almost stopped signing players anyway. There's yeah. no money for players. So I'm not sure the transfer embargo is a massive disaster. It's perverse to try and force financial uh, prudence on a club by finding it yeah. £20 million. Pounds. Yeah. It's also perverse for them to force the board to convert some debt into equity because that is how the yeah, bo- that, was a strange that is how the board are financing the club anyway and also that's what the football league objected to in the first place we mm. lost 70 80 million pounds but they converted 60 of it into equity yeah and the football league said oh you can't do that so we've now argued the toss for four years and they've come back and said well, we're going to find you 20 million pounds but you have to convert 20 million in, uh, debt into equity because we don't want you in debt is that that's what they did in the first place that said it was a, as I've said on this podcast so many, it was a disgusting and deliberate breach of the rules. We cheated and we deserved to, we knew the rules. We deliberately broke them to force our way back up to the Premier League and we deserve punishment for that. And we won't do it again, probably, which I think will give us a club that we prefer. You are looking very suspicious on that. I think that if someone talked Tony into it again and promised him the Premier League, he would have a hell of a decision to make and I wouldn't be surprised if we probably did do it again. I mean, let's face it, we broke the rules and we got really good at So QPR. But, you know, if it comes out that we get a club that we want the club to go in that direction, let's face it, buying big-name players didn't do us any frigging favours. Fans felt alienated from the, the, the club. It, it wasn't what it was and now we've got it kind of back. I just wish somebody would take Tony off Twitter because <laughs> it, it's just not helping. It, it was what they did last week was fine. Most people were sound about it. Everyone took it on the chin. We're going to move on. And then he goes on and mentions Joyce Boland, which I, I, I just didn't understand that. So the lad came back and responded mm. and said, like, I'm, I'm trying my best here. I don't know why he did that, because at the end of the day, QPR probably paid agents a region of £20 million. Pounds. So it's a bit rich to then go on and say, oh, agents are killing the game. Well, you, you know my thoughts on Tony's Twitter. Yeah. But that said, as does anyone that's ever listened to me on here, we take our medicine, we get on with it, and we learn. I hope to go, we learn from this. Let's talk to Lee. Let's talk to the CEO, Chief Executive of the club, Lee Hughes, who, with a bit of luck, should be on the line now. Lee, thank you for joining us. First question um, it's three or four days after the FFP announcement. Um, Is the club happy with how this has ended up? Well, obviously, if we didn't think it was fair, we would have never entered into the um, into the agreement. So I think it was a, all in all, a, a fair deal all the way around. And the most important thing is what we are really happy with is that uh, the whole thing is behind us now. We can draw a line under it and focus on, on going forward. Okay, so, so we put this out to Twitter today and we've got a few questions from fans that, that we're going to go through as well as our own questions. Morris May has yeah. asked how club... Sorry, how close are the club now to being run financially in the manner that Lihus is aiming for, i.e. sustainability, sustainably? Well, the, the biggest problem we have with sustainability, it, it still requires um, external funding. Um, and I don't see any way around that in the foreseeable future until we get a new stadium. Um, because, it's, it's you, you, you know, I think it's a case study. You know, in the administration once before, administration before... Um, 
Bernie Fabio uh, took it over. It just can't generate the revenues it needs to survive as a going concern on its own off this road. So if, if nothing else, this, the last couple of weeks and looking at um, you know how we adhere to the FFP rules going into the, into the future, uh, it really highlights the need is we have to do something that, that's um, that helps me with the cost of running a stadium, and it also helps us with the revenue stream that we can get additional revenues in, um, into a, a new stadium because it's just not going to cut it off this road. Is it so po- at some point, the, the council really is going to have to, to, to help us out here if they, if they want us to stay in the borough because we are going to have to move at some point. Is it impossible or tr- very challenging for any club outside the Premier League to run sustainably or particularly QPR? And if it's the former, uh, what needs to be done? Well, at Burnley, I had substantially more external revenue coming in from non-match day events. But even at Burnley, uh, you, you know, it was still reliant on the parachute payments, and it was in the last year of its parachute payments before it went up. The teams that um, really, you know, like, like Huddersfield, have proven it can be done even without parachute payments and go up. Um, but on the other hand, look at Bournemouth, who never, ever in a million years are going to get promoted unless they've reached FFP. Mm. So then what choice does it, it, it give them? You either have to stay in your lane or the rules are not fit, is, is what I'm getting from that. It's, yeah, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, the, the, I, I, for me, FFP, I understand the, uh, the merits of it, but I'm more of a, of, of a laissez-faire. I prefer things to be left alone. And it's rather than, uh, because look, when I voted for them, I've been in a position to be at a club where we thought, hey, this is great. This is a salary cap by stealth. <laughs> That's really what it is. Um, so we can control, control, control the the, um, the, the, the player's salary. Just tell the manager oh, we can't do that. Um, but for me, I, I prefer just more money coming into football. So one of the proposals I had was, well, why don't we do it like a, a wealth redistribution, like you would with any other tax? If uh, you know somebody wants to pay a player X amount of, of you know, say, say twenty grand a week, anything over twenty grand, it checks a five percent league levy, which is distributed to the other clubs. Anything over a four million pound transfer, you put a five percent levy on. You think of a six million, ten percent, you know, graduated tax like that, and then we distribute that amongst the clubs. And I think that's probably a fair way to do it. And because, in my opinion, is you know, if I want to sell a player, I don't want someone to be restricted by FFP. If they want to pay me a lot of money for one of our players, I'm more than happy for them to do so. Lee, on the uh, the fine is uh, spread uh, over over ten years. Um, Ten years, long time uh, in football, obviously, and there's no guarantee that the current owners will still be at the club in five, six, seven, eight years. I mean, they, they seem very committed, but were they to leave and sell up, have they ring-fenced some money to pay that fine over the ten years? Will it well, fall you, to the new way, owners? How selling, would it work? If they, were, if they were selling the club, that would be a negotiation point between the parties, but considering the amount of money they've already put into the club, <laughs> the, the remainder of the fine probably is not going to be the, the sticky point in any kind of negotiation. Um, uh, really, the, the biggest impediment to selling the club, if they ever wanted to do it, they've made absolutely no indication. In fact, quite the opposite. They've, they've always been clear with me. They're really not interested in selling the club. Um, but the biggest impediment is, is, is actually the financial fair play rules. If you want to sell a club, it's like, well, first of all, the owners will say, well, I put in a couple hundred million, so I want that money back. Oh, and by the way, you can only invest... You know, 30, 39 million pounds over a three-year rolling period, so effectively 13 million a year. The fine, the fine doesn't count um, against our judgment under the new FFP rules, which we're battling to to cope with now. 
how uh, how close are we to being compliant with those FFP rules? Are we compliant? We're into the third year of three now, and it's judged over three years. What's the status under the current rules? I think it's very controllable. I mean, uh, I wouldn't see any problems coming in the, in the foreseeable future, but you know, my worry is three, four years from now, without parachute payments, where does the revenue stream, where do the revenue streams come from then? And that's really when I, when I came in, I identified that problem early on. So there's only one real way you can earn you know, money fairly quickly and then decide what we need, and that is if you become um, a selling club. If you, if you, you have to get in the, 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 the bright stars, um, you know, the, 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 the unpolished talent, polish it up and, and sell it, because we're never going to get it based on the, on the restrictions that we have at Loftus Road and, and the size of the fan base that we have. I know it's Paul. Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. You? That could be worse. Um... <laughs> Sorry, that's me being Sometimes happy. you are. I, I, I totally agree. Um, just to explain to fans, how will, how will, the, how will the embargo work in January? As in, um, obviously we can't bring players in, but should we have a, a spate of injuries, God forbid, or something goes wrong, can we bring players in alone? With the well, goalkeeper, you can always, there's always an exception for goalkeeper, and pretty much any rule that's out there, we make exceptions for goalkeepers. Right. Um, but in terms of the embargo, again, you know, we've got um, I think 30 players with, with, with squad numbers, um, and 27 of them have made league appearances for the club. So I would say, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape. We're, we're not going to be able to bring in players, you know, if, if we have a state of injuries. We, we'll, again, we'll have to look internally like we have in, um, last January. We didn't bring in anybody. Um, but for me, if, if you really want to go for it, you want to be competitive, you need to use as few players as possible. And we've made substantial investments in the sports and medical science team, so it's, it's about preventing the injuries. Obviously, somebody goes out and has a leg broken. There's just not much you can do about it. But, you know, preventable injuries, I think our guys are, 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 will be doing a very, very good job. Um, in doing that, we've got the players in, in tip-top condition right now. So it's about one preventing the injuries. We use the smallest amount of players that you possibly can, so we have that continuity of of, of, um, of players. Um, and two, looking internally, you know, we've put a lot of money into the academy. If we had just said, well, let's go out. Oh, we need more players in, and people like um, Paul Smith and Abira Easy would have never had a chance last year. Lee, can you just can you explain the rules of the transfer embargo? Can you give us it one point one because it's not simply you can't buy any players. There are circumstances with, that we can bring players no, it's in. A, it's a one. In, it's a. Um, it's a bit complicated, but it's a one in one out rule. So first of all, so if you sold a player, um, and let's face it, we, you keep, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't be advocating selling players in the general transfer if you can't bring anybody in. You, you know, um, so 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 that's one thing. Um, but if you did did sell a player, um, you could bring in another player. But you wouldn't be able to pay a fee for it, and it can't be any more. The salary can't be more than six hundred thousand, or more than seventy-five percent of the outgoing player's salary. So if the player was on say ten thousand pounds a week, the new player coming in would have to be free, and, and you couldn't pay more than seven and a half thousand pounds a week. Okay, so that rule's messy out then. Yeah. Okay, uh, Lee. I want to ask you. We've had a few people ask us to ask you about what the expectations are for this season. Now, if you don't mind me saying, you have form in this area with this particular question. And the, the question asker has, has anticipated that. Gary says, other than being competitive, what are the expectations from the club for this season? I, don't, I think that's all you can ask. Because I think, um, you know, my expectations are you get a group of players together who, who are close-knit. You get a manager who can organise those players. 
and you see how far you can take it. And already I can see how close knit the squad is. So, so that's a major, major you know step forward. Um, squad understanding where we are. The lads also understand what the club is like as well. We've already surpassed the player appearances um, this year for the entire total season of last year in terms of going out doing community programs, visiting football schools, sponsors. So that tells you, you know, the guys are buying into what this club ethos is all about. Um, you can do a lot with a unified, committed group of lads um, who work hard for each other. And so many, you know, Sheffield United proved it last year. Preston proved it last year. Millwall proved it. Um, Huddersfield proved it when they went up. Sheffield United, uh, um, sorry, proved it. So my expectations are, you, you know, I, I think we'll have a decent season this year. Lee, we we need, as you said, to to sell players to to just to to get by under the the rules as they are and at, with the stadium that we have. We've sold Alex Smithies uh, this summer, who's who's been absolutely outstanding for us over a couple of years. A lot of people felt that was that was cheap that deal at three million pounds or whatever it's been reported. I'm sure you're going to tell me that 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 was probably underreported. But for those people that think that that was that was cheap and the buy low, sell high model only works if you sell high, what would you what would you say uh, specifically about that Smithies deal? Well, I'd say anybody who read that the fee was undisclosed, then they got the fee right. Um, anybody else, it's a guessing game in terms of what it is. And I've always been for the philosophy, if someone's going to report the fee, I'd much rather they under-report it than over-report it because I don't want anybody else out there thinking i got a ton of money to spend when I inquire about their players and say... So so the fee was under-reported. We know you got this. So for me, which is the reason I never, ever want to disclose what what the fee is. Um, But in terms of market conditions, the market tells you what the song is willing to pay. Um, and in that respect, you know, if you, if you get a couple of people making inquiries, then, you know, you have a market. If you have, you know, a club making an inquiry over the past three years about a player, then it tells you there's not much of a market there. So you're saying the fee was underreported? So I say, I'm not saying, I'm saying that the fee was undisclosed. So it could have been overreported. We could have sold him for less than three million. I'm saying, all I can tell you is the fee is undisclosed, which means we're not disclosing it. I mean, if you only have one offer for a player and whatever that offer was, I, you know, were we, were we forced to sell? Could we, could we not have just said, well, that doesn't meet our valuation of the player, jog on, you know? Possibly, but it just depends on what you want to do. Again, you've got financial fair play restrictions that in order to, to bring somebody in, you have to move somebody out, you have to move the pieces on the, on the chessboard um, in order to create the headroom that you need to make sure you're in compliance. I think the problem is, Lee, that you know, we are selling the player for that price in a time when goalkeepers seem to be going for serious, serious money because everyone's looking for the new Pickford, it would seem. Um, I think you, you know my views on this. I think, we, I think we have undersold him because I think his value to us was not just financial. The season before last, he's more or less single-handedly kept us up. But I guess we're in a position where we can't, Turn bids down. So does that mean that, in terms of if we weren't facing FFP, would we be holding out for more money and just reject at the first bid? No, not necessarily, because I would never let a player walk out for nothing. You know, I wasn't really happy with the deal I did with QPR when I was at Burnley for Charlie Austin. But guess what? What's the only deal in town? Because he just failed a medical at home, and the player made it quite clear he was not signing a new contract. So he kind of stuff. Okay, and does that mean that other players will? Basically, is a whole squad up for sale? I think any player has his price. 
Um, I'm not saying I'm, but that's that's very very different from saying that we're trying to sell the. But what I am saying is, anybody who comes in and, and, and says, you know, if, if we got um, X million for that player, we can do a lot of damage. These three replacements lined up already who are a hell of a lot cheaper to do the job. There's, there is the some... Is having the replacements. Yeah, there's, mm. there's some concern also um, that uh, several of the younger players that are really impressing and anyone that was there on Saturday saw how Ezzy played and, you know, we're all going over the top about him now, but are concerned about the contract statuses of those players and don't want to see them leaving cheaply either next summer or the summer after because their contract has expired. I mean, is there, is there anything that you can say to allay those fears? Well, any, any young player needs to get a contract that's good for that player and good for the club um, and not necessarily good for the agent. I've seen so many young players get the wrong contract um, and who were promising and just all they did then, they got way too much, way too soon, and just their career went completely off the rails. In fact, you've got two of them here, I've seen, you know, Del Terrapt and um, Traore. It's like, oh, oh, contract, you're going to protect the asset value. You freaking paid off for Del Terrapt, for God's sake, to have them leave the club. I mean, my God. <laughs> uh, you know, there's no way that we're going to be repeating those kinds of, uh, of, of foolish things. Um, you know, for me, a young player's contract has to be, yeah, it's a good basic salary. Um, but then it's all about incentives. It's like you get X if you play, you get X if you put more, if you play X amount of games, you know, and you can make a lot of money. But what we're not going to do is give you a big fat contract at the age of, say, you know, 19, where you're, where you're sort of say, God, I'm a multimillionaire now. And you light up your cigar and stick your feet up on the desk. But then, Lee, the other side of not signing up good young players, who's a little bit older than the example you've given is what happened with Jack Robinson, where a good prospect walks away for nothing because he's seeing out his contract. And there's a lot of confusion around Ibira Eze in particular and how long he's got on his contract and Paul Smith. Can you clear up for us how long they've got and assure people that that's not going to be allowed to happen with either of those players? What I'm not going to do is give any agent one single bit of ammunition to say, oh, you breached GDPR, you sort of talking about terms of a player's contract. But what I will tell you is, as a general proposition, um, we put options in favor of a club in most contracts. <laughs> so I think I cover myself on that one. That's, that's an interesting one now, slight aside, that, that because of GDPR it's a bit trickier to disclose contract lengths. But I'm in, I'm Wouldn't have bothered Redknapp, I suspect. no. I'm interpreting that as um, there's perhaps longer than um, we might have thought on one or two of those contracts. I, I, I won't discourage you on that front. Right. <laughs> but it, it, what, what's, what state have we come out of FFP to? So what state do you think the club have come out of FFP to when we went into it, when the likes of Mr Hughes and Redknapp were playing championship manager for real? Sorry, could you repeat the question again? They didn't quite follow it. Okay, what, what, what I was trying to say was, um, what condition has the club come out at the end of all this after FFP to what it was like with Redknapp and Mark Hughes having a supermarket sweep? Um, okay, well, the salaries are obviously a lot lower now with, 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 because it was Harry and Mark. It was, they were kind of big salaries. I think they're structured in a much more sensible way now in terms of um, with, with options, with um, contingency payments, make sure there are definite relegation clauses in all contracts. No player is too good for a relegation clause. They have to all accept it. So I, I think, you know, you know, 
the, the, the risk is managed a lot better, is what I would say. And on the on the current FFP rules, I mean, this is a this is a technical question, but I did promise someone I would ask it. It's thirty nine million pounds over a rolling three year period. Does that mean that you can lose twenty million pounds in one season and then five million in another? There's no sort of limit what you can lose season yeah, to season. It that's just absolutely right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And one last question, Lee. Um, if we and when we win the championship this season, can we have a parade, please? Can we have a parade? Yeah, we didn't have uh, we didn't I'm have. I'll off this road. Well, we didn't have any parades last time. So when we win the league this year, can we make yeah, sure there's a parade? That's, uh, that would be that would be down to the council. But I, I would like to. I would hope that they give us something. And can we win a cup match? I know that's a bit even worse. Than, <laughs> that, I'm not being realistic here. But oh, if we win a cup match, we have a big parade. <laughs> Good man, you're on record. Thank you, <laughs> Lee. Thank you very much. No worries. Appreciate your time, good. as always. Good luck for the season, okay. big Yeah, good luck, Lee. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks no a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There you go. Beat Peter Burr next week, or the week after, and there's a parade on Wednesday. <laughs> I mean, that, that to me says, Smithies has gone. We've started selling. Brace yourself. There's going to be a lot more of this to come. Yeah, absolutely. But we knew that anyway, I guess. It's just whether the... Um, it might be good them. for the young players. He might McLaren might have been told something along the lines of get get a beer in the team, get these players in the team. I think what, he said, what he was saying about the Smiddies thing is there was only one club interested, and I think Bournemouth had had a look and decided against, and that left you only with Cardiff and Warnock, who's not going to give you no. And they know. rate Ingram and they rate Lambert. and they ha- yeah, and they needed some money because they only had two weeks transfer window left, and we obviously need two centre backs. Well, so, so but me and you both agree mm. on Smiddies. Whatever it's been reported at and how much it's been underreported and whatever, it was cheap. For a player of that age and that contract status and that ability in this market, that felt cheap to me. And the question now is, what's going to happen with Luke Freeman? Because there's loads of rumours going around about Luke Freeman. It's an interesting one because you kind of think, well, does that mean that Manning can step up? Um, but it's so risky, isn't, isn't it? it? Getting rid of so many senior players. If you look at how we did last season, if you'd said, if I'd sat here and said halfway through last season, right, you can't pick Robinson Anua, Smithies or Freeman in that team. Oh God, you, no. you would have been shitting bricks. Yeah, and big ones. Yeah, but then on the, my only fear is that the Championship, even more so than the Premiership, is that it's a man's league. It's it's physical, it's hard going, and kids need protection on the pitch. Mm. Um, and I I do worry that, that the kids will get kicked all over the place. But I noticed on on the side of Ezzy, he, he took a punishment and then just done really I well. I wouldn't worry run. about Ezzy getting kicked. About no, no, he seemed to do well. Paul Smith again is another one that can take a good kicking um, because he's played Gaelic and he's played Irish league. So you kind of so there's hope. It's the Belfast in him. I can't say that. I'm, I'm a complete wuss. Um, the, the the whole thing as well is it will depend on how the, the kids grab their opportunity, grab their chance and develop and how Steve McLaren can develop, which brings it back into the coach well, role. kids often don't have this hang-up of kind of well, the legacy they and they've got the baggage and they don't feel the pressure. Could go really well. On the point, on the point of the Smithies fee, though, the most important part of buy low, sell high is you have to sell, you have high, to sell and high. we What are we buying for? Uh, who are we talking about Freeman Smithies. or Smithies Smithies, Smithies is about 900,000 million quid mm. so we did make a profit and that's fine and whether you you've heard the logic he's just told you the logic but then it we was to cheap. give Huddersfield money but if well. you then if you then sell 
your best player from last season, which I think Freeman was. I know he didn't finish this season particularly. If you then sell him for three million pounds, that's that's getting a bit easy, isn't it? It's like it's like we're having a yard sale. <laughs> well, the only, thing, the only thing is with with season tickets and everything else, people are going and also expectations. And whatever we say on this podcast today, tomorrow, the day after, it doesn't matter. It all depends on what happens on a Saturday and a Tuesday, mm-hmm. and sometimes a live game on a Wednesday. That's all that matters. And you're going to be judged on each performance. And I just don't want people getting on them kids' backs because it's not fair on them. Um, that They're stepping in to try and do a job. You need senior players around them. And they, yeah. to be fair, the club know that. They do, yeah. they do know that. that. He's not an idiot. No, absolutely not. <laughs> well, so, I, did, I did watch that. Sorry. I did right. watch that video when he was in Holland. Um, again, when I was in... Uh, God, you were really bored. On the, <laughs> I can't get sun. I just burned. So I couldn't sit underneath the, the brolly. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, watching these... Um, the, and, and the Dutch one, I recommend we all go back and on watch the, it. It's hilarious. On a side issue, you brought umbrellas up. Hoffenheim last week, the second half, the heavens opened. They got like a month's worth of rain in 10 minutes and McLaren stood there on the touchline with it dripping off the end of his nose with his arms folded. He's like, nope. <laughs> that that man can never have an umbrella again. Imagine being in that position as a human. He can't even go to the shops with one because someone would take a picture of yeah, it. You know, He's never allowed an umbrella again. No one, no one's called um, Putin the Wally with the Broly, did they? Just saying. You can call, you can yeah, call him that call if you like. It sounds like there's going to be a regular gap opening on your podcast, David. I'll send my CV. <laughs> I'll send away from that perfect characters. Uh, okay, so talking of the new boss, the, the new head coach, uh, we, we got some time down at the training ground a few days ago, um, which we're going to talk about in a minute after this interview. As part of that, we got to talk to Steve McLaren, ask him a bit about um, how he was approaching the season, the players, the team. Um, have a listen to this, and then we'll talk about it after. Here's what he had to say to us. Steve, thanks for joining us. It's a, a week before this interview is going out, so probably a lot will uh, happen, I imagine, comings and goings, things like that. um, uh, before this broadcast but you've been in the club now a couple of months month or two they've been back in training a few weeks what are your impressions of the squad so far yeah I think when I came through the door I said to to the owners and and Les look I need three or four weeks I've watched them a lot but working with them is different and what I didn't want to do was come in with uh, pre-ideas about certain players and labelling players I wanted to give everybody a chance an opportunity. I didn't want to come in and say, right, uh, we need this, we need this, we need this. I said, I'm going to look at the squad, look at the players, and after about three or four weeks, I'll know exactly what we need um, and what we don't need to uh, to go forward with this team. And I think it's about the fourth week, you know, just under two weeks to go. And um, I'm delighted with the uh, attitude of the players, it's been fantastic. Some great young players here. They're great to work with. Um, we've got a good staff, good people working. As I thought five years ago, and I continually say to people, Queen's Park Rangers is a great little club. It's got a great history tradition. Delighted to be here, and uh, and I just want to take the club forward. Uh, you talk about being here five years ago. How's the club changed? Um, nothing has changed um, in terms of facilities, in terms of staff. Many of the staff are still here, um, but a hell of a lot of change in terms of the, the players. And I think the club have done a fantastic job behind the scenes when so much money was hemorrhaging um, out that 
they kind of stopped that, subdued it, um, and got this club now on a solid basis in which uh, maybe we can can build without saying, you know, it's another transition year. Mm. Although every year is a transition year, we want to be able now to to look up, and I think the last of that era of players from five, six, seven years ago and the big spending and the big salaries and the big budgets I think that has disappeared and the club is on a, a much safer ground mm. um, although it's trimmed a lot it's relied on youth and we have to uh, to go forward and build on that That's um, so the, the, the situation with finances and financial fair play it seems like it's going to resolve itself in the few days after this interview but probably the upshot of that looks like there's going to be much more emphasis on coaching, developing the young players. Is that? Did you expect that to be a big part of your remit when you're coming in? And 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 are you you and the staff set up for almost developing from within? Yeah, um, you know, I looked at it from the outside, and and you know, I said to to Tony and, and to Les and, and the other owners, you know, this is a coaching job. You've got good young players and. Um, need coaching and uh, we've got a great backing of the academy Chris Ramsey's done a great job and we've got young players in Gary Penrice Les fantastic recruitment behind the scenes and um, we have to develop now so develop players and develop them into team players develop the team and try and give the QPR fans uh, a team that they can be proud of and start to at least um, Look up um, instead of instead of you know finishing 18, 16. You know the priority, yes, is still to remain in this championship, but is to build on what the club's been doing over the last two or three years. And who are the two or three players you think we can be expecting a lot of this season? Um, I expect a lot of them all. Um, never know who's going to emerge, but I expect a lot from them all. Um, know them now very well and um, I think there'll be one or two surprises I always expect that um, you know Smith has gone out so we expect one of the goalkeepers to step forward and, and take that mantle um, the back four we're trying to rebuild again after losing uh, you know three defenders mm. in, in the summer so we've got to work on that midfield is sorting out the strongest midfield um, trying to get consistency up front in terms of our wide players so there's, a, there's still a lot to do, and I hope um, you know by this time and this interview goes out that we might see a, uh, a couple more new faces. Um, but certainly uh, with the loan deals and the loan market open until the end of August, we st I still think we need a bit of experience just to go together with the uh, with the young players. What 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 was the remit you were given by the club? What what are the objectives for you? in this job is it keep us in the league is it move us up is it promotion what 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 are your targets um first target target I, when i came in four weeks ago i was just trying to find the strongest team the best 11 uh, build a team that plays good attractive football which the the fans like to see and are proud to come every saturday and away from home to watch um be competitive in every game um, so try and raise the bar and find that consistency um, 
find a team that gets out there and plays the football that I enjoy so at least I can watch we win games and this championship is different um, we've all experienced it over the years there are surprise teams Sheffield United last season Millwall Bristol City uh, Preston to a certain degree you know um, we want to one make sure we stay in this league two build a good team that surprises mm. and I think that's the the key thing we said to the players is we want to surprise a few people this season in what in what we're going to do how we're going to play and uh, first of all that's surprising you uh, you supporters I've got two, two more questions before, before we have to go the first one is there was a lot of three at the back last season which wasn't necessarily popular with a lot of supporters what talk us through your philosophy the shape that you tend to like to play um, we talked about it before and we talked about not necessarily systems I don't particularly like systems it's just I like control of the game and consistency in performance um, I like to play good football I like to keep possession of the ball but I also like to attack quickly um, I want to be hard to beat it's it's generally the three things start the game with attitude be hard to beat play good attractive football but make sure we get end product um, which means we, we've got to get shots on goal and we've got to score goals to win games so football's a pretty simple game we just coaches and everybody and pundits try to complicate it but it's pretty simple we want to make it as simple as possible uh, but also to be effective and win so at the present moment we've been working a lot on, on 4-3-3 4-2-3-1 um, but I'm adaptable as long as the players are and I think that's important we're, we're here one of the remits was we've got good young players we've got to develop them and uh, the way to develop them is yes technically uh, physically, mentally but very much tactically uh, football intelligence now is very important if you're going to play higher and play in the Premier League And finally, message to the supporters this will be going out on the podcast a few days before the season What what's your message to the fans? I, uh, my message to the fans is, has been my message to myself over the last four weeks working with these players patience because they're young um, they're very raw, they need a lot to learn and uh, you have to be patient with them and uh, I would ask for patience uh, we'll try and deliver um, a very very good team that plays very good football that you are proud to come and watch it's got attitude, it's hard to beat it works hard they celebrate together uh, they enjoy playing football and um, you know winning, losing and drawing for 95 minutes you want to see them fighting on the field and that's what we want Steve, thanks very much and good luck for the season. Thank you. Okay, so that interview was, let's explain, let's give the context to, to everybody who's listening. The club are, are pretty good, been pretty good in the last few years. Let's kind of be very transparent about it. Every time there's a new manager, except for Harry Redknapp, every time there's been a new manager for the sort of last five or six appointments, Terrific. there's a good uh, dialogue with the club sites, not just us, not just the podcast, but kind of all, all the message boards and significant sites where quite often uh, we do get to kind of meet Lee Who's here and there and pose questions to them and the same with the managers. We were invited to the training ground last week to meet Steve McLaren, who we got, I don't know what it was, about 20 minutes with and we got to watch training. Um, 
which was a very interesting experience. We, we, we know what he said there in that interview. I learned a hell of a lot about what his obvious philosophy is, what his approach is, almost what he's been briefed to do, um, or kind of go through it. The thing, that, the thing that came across loud and clear to me, so obvious, and such a contrast to the other managers that we've ever had any time with, is, first of all, like you said, he's clearly a coach. He did not talk about... He talked at length about the team, the 11, the formation, tactics, players. He didn't talk anything about the club, nothing about the infrastructure, nothing about youth, barely anything about Les. He is single-mindedly focused on coaching the team and not much Which else Which, in besides. theory, is, the good, is good because McLaren yeah. is... The perception is he's a coach and not a manager. Yeah. But then you've got... I mean, the thing is, you've got to look at it like I keep saying, everything depends on what stop we get. Everything depends on results. Um, if we start well, he'll be Steve McLaren. The coach is great. We start losing, everyone's going to start putting umbrellas on the ground. You know, it's it's, it's going to be a state of he's going to be judged rightly or wrongly on Saturdays and Tuesdays. Well, well, he also talked, which wasn't on the interview, but but he he talked about um, how he is he thrives on organisation, on team organisation. I think the words that were used were kind of chaos versus organisation. I don't know whether yeah. that was kind of a dig or whatever it was at, at the previous manager or whatever, but he made it very clear he likes his teams to be organised, he likes to know what they're saying. And Paul Morrissey, who's now the, the PR guy at the club, the, the, the main head of comms at the club, has said that he has seldom seen such organised training. And I felt that when we were down there. We watched a drill which was Leinster, 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 diagonal ball across to Smith, big Smith, chest down, easy, run through, slot it home. We must have watched them do that and drill a hundred times. Preston Scotty's line. They, did, they did two, they did two yeah. different pattern of play drills. One, a playing out from the back off the keeper, passing it through, and as soon as the space opens up, the wing back knocks it in. Then they did a more direct drill, but they did it. Over and over and over and over again. Times, didn't they? they must have run it a hundred times over about an hour and a quarter, and it was just. And the encouraging thing was then you go and watch them play Union Berlin on Saturday, yeah. and it was all there. And you know, we sort of rather unkindly, possibly I said rather unkindly last week. This is how you teach thick boys to do things: just <laughs> repeat, 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 repeat. Yeah, but it's also a way of making things second nature, so you don't have to think about it. You, you don't give yourself a second exactly. Mistake. I think. To be honest, I think his enthusiasm. What what I got out of that was he's enthusiastic. He's trying to get the the, the lads to respect the club, respect the badge, um, and go out there and don't come back until you've left your soul on the pitch, which is what we've needed. But my worry, and I have got a worry, is the baggage he's had with him in the championship. Mm. The last few times he's had a go, it hasn't gone particularly well. Not that anyone can succeed at Derby. The way they run that club is horrendous. Um, but the forest thing, he would have been damaged by. I would have thought. But the um, yeah, the training was the most impressive part. Yeah, of it. yeah. I mean, he's, but also, you know, he's not. He's not. He was very, very, very. I thought decent the way he put himself across. How he explained his yeah. p- particular way that he wants football. I think we're going to see football. Yeah, I think there's no two ways about it. He likes. You see from the training and everything they were doing. Um, I think we're going to have a lot more pace this season. Yeah. That's the impression I got, but... I didn't get the impression he raped very many of our midfielders. Well, the, I okay. mean, the interesting point... Uh, the, you tell me. The I interesting th- point yeah. that he made was that you've got, we've got a lot of players here that can 
sort of play everywhere across the midfield. And he ke- he did it by numbers. He's like, we've got players here that can be a four, a six, an eight, a 10, mm. a seven, an 11. And what he wants is for them to nail down positions and just, right, that's your position now. And you go and stand in it and do a job. And he, he I think he, he was talking about Josh Scowen at one point, who we Ooh. saw at Uni- on Saturday against Union, what he wants him to do. Stand in front of the defence, get the ball off the two centre-backs and distribute it here and here. And that's your job. And just stand there and do it. And he sort of rolled his eyes a little bit that Josh had come back this summer and said, well, actually, at Barnsley, I played further forward and scored loads of goals. Like, mm. Well, that's great, but so did eight or nine or ten of the others, you know, not sort of telling tales but out of school. I think that's what we need. We need more goals midfield. That's, that's blatantly obvious. Um, but what I did notice against Union Berlin, all right, be it not moving on the first team, whatever, a lot more nastier. You know, as he did it, say we were. Again, he said we were nice boys. I don't think we're, I don't think we're nice betraying boys, any confidence no, no, to no. say that he said that it's a bunch of really nice lads. They're nice boys, and that he felt that that showed through away from home last year. We were too easy to play against, and I mm. think it showed on Saturday because Mass was getting involved at every opportunity he could get. He was kicking people all over the place, which is it's nice to see. And also, I think the team unity is going to be stronger. He wants to be stronger, um, but. Our problem this season is going to be goals. We I, need to find that goal scorer. I definitely felt we have someone here who knows what he's doing. Whether he can execute right is a different matter, and mm-hmm. time will tell. But I definitely felt this is a guy who's been around the block a few times, isn't, isn't jaded in the way that Holloway obviously was. Oh, no, Still he quite enthusiastic, that, but was very clear in what he wanted to do and like, knew what he was doing. It's a sign of how low his stock has fallen as a former England manager that he is now the head coach of Skint QPR in the championship. I mean, but that might work in our favour. We might have a brilliant coach here, you know, a victim of circumstance almost. Well, I did like the fact when someone tried to explain them from kick up the R's, it took him about five minutes to get out. <laughs> he was, was very funny. taken with the kick I'm up the I'm not sure he thought it? we would take the mickey or not. Um, listen, it, it's, it's going to be simple. If, if we start well, we do well, um, well, you can see that he can push that on. But my worry, again, as it always is as a natural pessimist, that if he, we have a bad start, the damage that's been done before comes to the what, what we have to remember, and what Tony Fernandez has to remember, having been obviously very keen to appoint him, mm-hmm. Fernandez says that and McLaren says that, is that when he was here coaching before, he did a brilliant job. He did, actually. But that team cost £100 million. That was an £80 million wage bill. We, set, we went out and signed the Championship's two best players, Austin and Phillips. Mm. We went out and signed Richard Dunn. We signed Nico Cranshaw and Yossi Benayoun, who'd been playing Champions League football. We signed proven internationals to sit on the bench. It was a very different time. Mm. And, you know, he talked about how the club has changed in that respect, but the team has changed. And those quality players that can produce a quality moment to get you out of a hole aren't here anymore. So... Yes, he did a brilliant coaching job here before and it all went downhill afterwards when Redknapp had to stop phoning it in and actually come out of the port again and do some work. But it's a very different thing now, coaching young boys and free transfers. So just because he was brilliant before and we brought him back because we liked him and whatever, you've got to be careful because that team, that was a £100 million team. It's there in the accounts and that's what we've just been punished for. I think the, the, the thing with McLaren, he's, he's certainly got a job on his hand, but... I think the two coaches are interested in appointments. Um, again, then you know that the, the, they've come from non-league. They look hungry. They look. Enthusiastic. And he was manager. Eustace yeah. was a manager. Yeah. So, but also, hey, he 
seems to get he's, he's obviously got a big trust in them and the, I mean if they get a look in because that session we watched McLaren was all over it it was McLaren and Eustace wasn't it and it was it was McLaren was out there very the hands very, yeah, very hands, hands on. on no don't look go back again go do back this, and do it do again this, do, do this but the impressive thing was considering they were kids he didn't he wasn't screaming he wasn't bullying no. he was explaining and I think that's going to have to be the way we're going to have to do it this season. I think the kids are going to be fragile to a certain degree until they get a few... It was like watching a PE lesson, wasn't it? It was, like, <laughs> it, it, it was, wasn't it? It was... They were being taught. It wasn't... It was, like, it was just like watching school PE, basically. Do you know what? To keep, to keep us fit at school back home, they used to make us play a school of a different religion because you'd have to get off the pitch pretty quick. <laughs> where, where was that? <laughs> um, yeah. Somewhere across the sea. Ding! Uh-huh. No, um, I've got my cross. You, and the thing, the, but but the, good, the good thing is, he's got enthusiasm. He he wants to be here. By the looks of it, he gets on very well with Tony at the moment. Whether Tony will keep that relationship is down to Tony. Well, Tony's got nothing to do now because we can't sign anyone, or we, we, we might sign a couple of players in the next week. But after that, he doesn't need anything from Tony for a year. Yeah, we'll be, getting, we'll be getting another centre back. I think, yeah. I think that I think came we'll through. Loud, as that, well. that came through loud and clear. I think everybody knows which striker he wants. Um, yeah. Whether that, you know, mm. whatever you think of that. Um, I mean, it, he, he wants. He's, it's been in the he wants Chris Martin, doesn't he? I think, oh yeah. I think that's pretty obvious. And it, but, you he, know, want, he wants someone that has a back to goal game to bring the others. Does he not too similar look to Smith? Um, not have Smith. a back to goal game. That's. Uh, that's not for me to say. <laughs> He's got more, uh, more, um, more back I mean, to I, I mean, he has worked with Chris Martin before and would know him a lot better than us and had good results with Chris Martin. So if that's what he wants, you know, maybe. But Chris Martin, at Reading away last year, was in worse shape than half the crowd and about as much use to Reading on that day. I have never seen a footballer in that physical state. If, um, if, so if that is who we're going to end up with... You know, hope did you never watch John Parkin when he came down? I would have put, I would have put Chris, uh, Chris Martin, Chris Martin, and John Parkin. I would have put him ahead of John Parkin at Reading last year. I mean, that was like scored one goal in the the whole loan. I mean, just yeah, in appalling shape. But you know, he's worked with him before. The the other thing I'll say, which you alluded to before, was he had a very detailed knowledge of us last season. Yeah. And so very he's, detailed. He's either an encyclopedia, a number one, number two. He's or he spent his entire summer watching every single one of our games. He didn't, or he <laughs> knew he was going to be the manager a there long is. time before. There it is. Yeah, I've always said it. It depends on who has Tony's ear. But you know what? I did a thing the other week for a thing in Australia, and it was quite awkward because um, I did a thing for a thing in Australia, a football league preview show. Australia because I'm not like you Clive I don't get asked by 442 I don't get asked like David from the BBC speak, it's going to be a long season if you don't speak oh, into the microphone no. I get asked by good people but not necessarily on the, 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 the public's radar but anyway and they were kind of it was a really 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 awkward question they asked me about um, Tony Fernandez because it was kind of they're liking him to the gazers uh, um, Hull and Blackpool. Oh no! Ex- ex- exactly. No, no. So no. I was like, no. He goes, are oh, you going to be having fans protest? I'm like, well, no, because um, the Oysters shafted horrible, vile individual people who should never be allowed in football. Good luck, AFC Blackpool. Um, and the guy at Hull is a complete binlid that has no idea what he's doing. Whereas Tony, I still said, just wants to be loved. Now, however many times Tony says he doesn't want to be loved, he clearly does want to be. I loved. mean, two things. As long as the debt to equity thing continues as long as they keep doing that well they're making mistakes and paying for it basically making mistakes but paying for it that's fine once it's not 
Well, I, I, we co- we cross that bridge when we come to it. The uh, other thing is that in yeah. amongst all this debt to equity uh, transfer is that Tony is nowhere near the biggest shareholder now. It's Ruben, Ruben. who we never, ever hear anything from. And it was Ruben that was at Union yeah. on Saturday with all his millions of kids. Mm. And um, he's not on Twitter a lot. Good. Good. Uh, Ours end. We've been wittering on for well over an hour. Well. Now. So, Ours end. I'm going to declare I don't have one. We've talked about everything that was on my list tonight. Really? Paul. You don't want to. I'll, I'll let Clive go first. Sorry, fur. That's fine. Uh, I was uh, more impressed with us on Saturday than I thought we, I was going to be. I thought we played well. I thought Union were really terrible, which is a shame. But they're a couple of weeks behind us, aren't they? They're not starting next week, are they? I think this. Well, the guy said in the program this was their last friendly, but honestly, I haven't checked that. Anyway, I I thought they were they were particularly poor, and that's a shame because Preston are a team that often do a number on us, and we will need to be sharp on Saturday. Mm. So it wasn't much of a test, but I was impressed with how we played, and also the uh, the travelling support was like nothing I have ever seen at Loftus Road. Um, And next time somebody praises like. 400 fans for giving them a bit of a clap at the end is like German away support is something else. Mm. Mm. I made an arse of myself. What? Really? What? I am shocked. Uh, shocked how? How is this? It's so rare. <laughs> I, I, I dwarfed into you, David, for 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, Morphed or dwarfed? Because I'm taller than dwarfed. you. I am taller than you, but go on. How did you make an arse of yourself? My, my, my Do tell. Like, like just now. Get, couldn't get the words out. No, on Twitter, they, they unfolded the QPR flag, and I'm like, oh, that's a nice touch. It's not. It's not really, no. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a football person for fighting. I don't fight. I, I shout and scream a lot and wave my arms in the air, but I'm just like a, a, a dodgy linesman or something. But I didn't realise that that was a flag they'd taken in Germany, so I apologised. It, yeah, it was a bit naughty. If, if I offended anyone by saying, oh, that's nice, I didn't know the history and I humbly apologise for making it. Never mind Fernandez, awesome. get Finney off Twitter. Get me, uh, right, you've obviously got another one because one mile's end is not enough for you, so go on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. That's all right. I'd like to see more of an atmosphere this season. I keep saying it, and it'd be brilliant. You looked at the Germans on Saturday, and all that, you kind of go by that. But if, I, 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 by talking to them, they're like that every week. And you kind of think, if, I remember the days when it was us against the world. And I think now we've got FFP, we've got a great chance to make amends with the club and just go for it off and on the pitch and try and get back that us against the world mentality. And hopefully that will transfer onto the pitch. And um, uh, just, just, it'd be so amazing Saturday at Preston if we can get. Half the atmosphere them guys brought to Loftus Road on Saturday. We've got to, you know, go forward with that and hopefully do, do that. I was quite impressed with, them, apart from nicking the flag, which is clearly out of order. Apparently, the flag was taken back by QPR fans mm. later in the day. I was told and they dropped it about ten minutes of the game to go. They dropped it in the lower tier, but it has been retrieved from. Well, them. if they picked it off the ground, did they take it back? Didn't they? Yeah, I didn't mean they steamed in the middle of it and had a tear up with them. <laughs> it was taken back by That's GPR. Predictions. This is why I get myself into trouble, Clive. I just I, I don't know what's happened to me in the summer. My brain went for a walk and didn't come back. Predictions. I, I mean, my there's brain no way work. you can you can't really predict Preston, but oh, yes, we'll give it a go. And the season. We never beat And the season, where we will finish. So did you mean to go on, Clive? Score (laughs) score versus Preston and final league position for Queen's Park Rangers this year, Clive. I don't think we'll beat Preston and we'll finish 15th. Paul. To do with the FA Cup, do you reckon? Paul. (laughs) No. League Cup? No. I've gone, we'll do FA Cup 
round we go out of the FA Cup? We will lose to Blackburn, Milton Keynes or Nottingham Forest in the third round. Will we win the City Grand this year? Clive. No. Clive. I'm sorry, Paul. I beg your pardon, Paul. Your prediction. That is the I know, sorry. That is. <laughs> a, 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 <laughs> suddenly my, making an arse of myself sticks. I've gone lower. Predictions. Um, predictions is, I think, pressing is a lot tougher than what people realise. They, they were so well organised at Rangers last season they, and at their place as well. I think we'll get a point up there. I'll be delighted. Mm. Um, give, me, give me a point now. Let's not go. Final league I position. Because I want a few beers. Come on, I, I people have got work to get to I've and jobs really to go to and homes weeks. to go to. Come on. I went Final. inclusive instead sober. Um, yeah, I think that it could go either way. I think that if it goes horribly wrong, we, we will go down shockingly bad. Um, but if it works... If it works, I think we could possibly be knocking it between 10th and 8th. Ninth. And FA Cup, we will go out in what round? We will go out in what round? I reckon we'll lose to Fleetwood and it'll be the turn of bar. Oh, no, God, please. I'm Anything. telling you, I reckon there'll be four or five scandals that involve... Did you hear that one today, by the way, of the person who went into an aquarium? I'm sorry for everyone who wants no, this podcast it, to end. They went I in, am amongst your number. <laughs> they, Carry went in, on. they went into an aquarium and dressed a, a shark as a baby. And, and nicked it. Did you hear that? All right. Anyway, um, so <laughs> how the hell do you dress a shark as a baby? Anyway, um, yeah. Where, I, I, where am I? FA am Cup. I still here. <laughs> Peter, what, where Peter, am I? <laughs> Peter Brewer probably beats the league cup. League position. Yeah. Well, um, in what round? Uh, well, they're going to beat someone, right? Peter Brewer. Thank you. Okay. Um, and the FA Cup, I'll, I reckon we'll lose to probably some lonely, lonely team. But okay. Go. I'll go nil nil on Saturday. Done. I think we will do better than last season. I'm going to say 11th. Improve away form. And FA Cup. I still think we'll go out in the third round. Of course we will. Of course we will. Have we, okay. Clive, answer this question before I go, because someone asked me this, and I said I would ask it with you because you're far more knowledge than I will ever be. And this is about sharks being dressed up as babies. Um, this is unbelievable. <laughs> have we got the worst cup record in the country for the FA Cup yet? Yes, we've gone past Plymouth for the most. So we have definitely the, the got most, the worst. Yeah, yeah, we're the best at being the worst in the FA Cup. Yeah, well forty-eight or forty-nine third round exits or something, or first whatever your first stage is. Right, there's four people in this room, and three of them are losing the will to live because we enjoy the podcast, but we have to finish it. <laughs> no, <you'd> be rude. <laughs> um, thank you very much, gentlemen. Very good. Very good preview of the season i hope i hope people like it uh we're going to be gen- more or less recording on tuesdays this year um of course if we have a game we'll record another day that week but otherwise tuesdays uh going live or available for people to download from sort of uh, late tuesday night or early wednesday morning thank you very much for everybody who's listened um we will see you again next week make as much noise as you can at preston that's been a proper session hasn't it <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Come on, yours. <laughs> UPR. UPR. Christmas Rangers are on the up and up. UPR. UPR. Now we're heading for your Can you hear the phone? No, I can't hear. The number you have reached is no longer in service. <laughs> Please try again. Hello? Okay. Hello? You didn't fall for it, eh? No. That's, that's his, uh... That was good. Were you recording that? <laughs> okay. We'll put that on at the end. There you go. I that's didn't a little. We, got Freddy we nearly, nearly fell for it, but we didn't. I didn't.